Our study now brings us to Zechariah 9:11 to 17. Zechariah 9:11 to 17, where we read of the salvation of Zion, or more specifically in this passage, the salvation of Judah and Ephraim, which is Zion, which is the redeemed people of God. When we read this passage, like many passages of the Old Testament, we ought to read them in light of the spiritual truths that they contain, not merely or exclusively the physical things that they describe, but the spiritual truths. And those spiritual truths, as found in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we're not reading the Old Testament devoid of Christ. Christ. He chided his enemies in John 5:39 to 47 for doing so, because they searched the scriptures because they thought in them they have eternal life, and yet it is these that bear witness of me. He said, "We should read these passages with the lens of Christ. Christ is the focal point, and even in this passage we will see elements of that." Zechariah 9:11. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, O prisoners who have the hope. This very day I am declaring that I will restore double to you, for I will bend Judah as my bow. I will fill the bow with Ephraim, and I will stir up your sons, O Zion. Against your sons, O Greece, and I will make you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and His arrow will go forth like lightning, and the Lord God will blow the trumpet, and will march in the storm winds of the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them, and they will devour, and trample on the sling stones, and they will drink. And be boisterous as with wine, and they will be filled like a sacrificial basin, drenched like the corners of the altar. And the Lord their God will save them in that day, as the flock of His people, for they are as the stones of a crown sparkling in His land. For what comeliness and beauty will be theirs? Grain will make the young men flourish. And new wine, the virgins. Amen. In verse eleven, he addresses specifically you. As for you also, who is this you that he's addressing in verse eleven? In the original Hebrew language, you is feminine singular. Feminine singular, and he introduced the feminine in verse nine. When he said, "Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem!" Why is it that Zion, Zion, the name of the mountain, is applied to the people, to the redeemed people, because God has redeemed them? They are supposed to rejoice and shout in triumph, because your King is coming. Behold, your King is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted. On a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and because of him, all animosity, all warfare will cease, 
and he will bring harmony and peace to his people throughout the ends of the earth. Verse 10 says, this is Christ who performs this and accomplishes this. But also in 11 to 17, Zion, the daughter of Zion, daughter of Zion means the virgin, the comely, the dainty, the delicate one that God considers dear to him because God considers himself in relationship to Zion, a husband or a man to a woman. This is the analogy he's using here. And therefore, in verse 11, because it is feminine singular, this is an indication that he's continuing to address Zion for Zion to continue to rejoice greatly and shout in triumph. Because Zion's salvation, the daughter of Zion's salvation, is being further explained. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Not only is the previous passage true of Zion, but the following passage will be true of Zion. That's why he says, as for you also, I am further explaining the blessing of redemption to you. And why is this blessing of redemption possible? Verse 11, because of the blood of my covenant with you. The blood of my covenant. This phrase is taken from Exodus 24, 8. The blood of the covenant. When Moses instituted the law to the people of Israel. Exodus 24, verse 8. But the blood of the covenant that Moses sprinkled on the people and on the book, and for various sacrifices, that itself didn't redeem anybody. That itself did not redeem anybody. Our redemption is only found in Jesus Christ. It's only by the blood of Christ. Why so and how so? Well, the book of Hebrews explains this. The book of Hebrews explains this very fact. We'll read Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of bulls and goats doesn't save. It's only the blood of Christ, which blood Moses sprinkled, signifying the coming of Christ. Isn't that what was said in Zechariah 9.9? Behold, your king is coming to you. He's coming. And we also find in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, 1 to 4. Hebrews 10, 1 to 4. For the law, speaking of the ritual law of Moses, for the law 
since it has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things can never by the same sacrifices year by year which they offer continually make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have had consciousness of sins? But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He continues to explain the need in verses 5 to 9. The need and the anticipation that Christ would come into the world. Then verse 10, 10, 10, Hebrews 10, 10. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This, here's the word covenant associated with blood. Verse 16, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind. I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. This blood of the covenant of Zechariah 9.11 is preaching the blood of the new covenant in Christ. This is what God has done as the basis for his redemption of the people, the people of Zion. Zechariah 9.11 I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Now he has, until the, the end of the chapter, all the way to verse 17, many descriptions of how God delivers them. That is, God himself delivers his people. The Lord delivers them. Verse 11. I have set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Verse 12. Return to the stronghold. The stronghold is God. Verse 12. This very day I am declaring that I will restore double to you. Verse 13, I will bend Judah as my bow. I will fill the bow with Ephraim. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. I will make you like a warrior's sword. Verse 14, the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and will march in the storm winds of the south. 15. The Lord of hosts will defend them. 
the Lord. And 16, the Lord their God will save them in that day. The Lord their God is the one who is saving. We shouldn't miss this. Whenever our redemption or salvation is emphasized in Scripture, the Lord is the subject of the verb. The Lord is the main actor, not man. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4:19. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Acts 13:48. The same here. Zechariah emphasizes emphasizes the Lord's work. And what does the Lord do? He sets prisoners free from the waterless pit. He sets prisoners free. We are described described as prisoners, such as when Joseph was thrown into a pit in Genesis 37, 22 to 24, that pit was described as a waterless pit. It had no water. Jeremiah the prophet, when he was thrown into a pit, Jeremiah 38, 6, Jeremiah 38, 6, when Jeremiah was thrown into a pit, it also was waterless. It was also muddy, and he was sinking, but it was waterless. Well, those who are being persecuted or who are prisoners, prisoners of the world, and even prisoners to sin, God is the one who releases them from it, as he describes here. Your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Verse 12, return to the stronghold, O prisoners who have the hope. Where are the prisoners supposed to go? They are supposed to return, and in the Bible, to return is equivalent in many contexts to repent. To return equals to repent. And repent where? To whom? It says stronghold, but who or what is the stronghold? Jeremiah 16, 19. Jeremiah 16, 19 and 20. <clears throat> o Lord, my strength and my stronghold and my refuge in the day of distress. To you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but falsehood, futility, and things of no profit. Can man make gods for himself? Yet they are not gods. We could also read 21. Therefore, behold, I am going to make them know. This time I will make them know my power and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Jeremiah 16, 19 to 21. The Lord is our stronghold and strength, and He is the one who delivers us. Also, in the book of Joel, Joel 3, 16. Joel 3 and verse 16. And the Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth tremble, but the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. He's our refuge and our stronghold. 
So that the prisoners who have the hope, the prisoners ought to flee in repentance to the Lord who is their stronghold. Verse 12 of Zechariah also says, This very day I am declaring that I will restore double to you. This very day, mark it. Don't forget it. Record it. I am declaring that I will restore double to you. Whatever God declares is true. Whenever he says, thus says the Lord, we ought to listen. When he makes a declaration, it's not the declaration, it's not the message of a man, it's the message of the master of heaven. We should listen to what he says. We also notice he says, I will restore. But in verse 11, he says, I have set your prisoners free. I have set, and then in verse 12, I will restore. Is it past tense or is it future tense? It's both in this sense. When he says, I have set, as though it's already done, he is speaking in terms of the prophetic certainty of the future. The prophetic certainty is known as a prophetic past. Prophetic past, it's expressed as past tense, that he's already done it, already accomplished it, but the events are yet future. It's expressed in the past to show us that God has decreed that it will definitely happen. And because he has already decreed before the foundation of the world that it has happened, it will happen in time and space. If it's future to us, then we look at it in the future tense. Like he says here, I will restore double to you. And this continues, the future tense continues for the remainder of this passage from verses 12 to 17. But he's already decreed it. Therefore, we have confidence that the future will happen as he has declared it. He assures us as well that he's going to restore double. He's going to restore double to us. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61 and verse 7. He promises the same. Isaiah 61, 7. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. The Lord not only removes the shame and the humiliation of sin and its punishments, He not only removes that, but He adds a blessing that is abundant, unimaginable, far beyond what we could ask or think in Christ. This is the same in Romans 5, 12 to 21, where we sin in Adam, but the grace of God is more than abundant in Christ to not only 
reverse the curse of Adam, the original sin of Adam, not only to neutralize it, but also to grant everlasting life, more than abundant everlasting life, to crush and annihilate whatever consequences of Adam's sin. And not only to do that, but to give us things that we don't deserve for all eternity. As he says here, everlasting joy will be theirs. And this is the double restoration that God promises to us in Zechariah. Verse 13 of Zechariah 13. Now the Lord describes himself as a warrior. The Lord describes himself as a warrior, a man of war, a soldier, because the Lord is about spiritual warfare, just as we should. He says in verse 13, For I will bend Judah as my bow. Judah, God is going to use as an instrument like a bow. I will fill the bow with Ephraim. Bows are filled with arrows. So Judah is a bow. Ephraim is an arrow. God is using his people. And remember, when he says Judah and Ephraim, as he says in verse 13, he also says Zion. He's referring to redeemed Judah, redeemed Ephraim, redeemed Zion. He's not referring to national names. He's not referring to territories. He's referring to the people. He's referring to the people, not merely the physical people, but he's referring to the spiritual people, the spiritually redeemed people that he names Judah and Ephraim. And he uses his people, I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. The Lord here is anticipating the Greek empire, which has not yet ascended in the days of Zechariah. This will happen 200 years after Zechariah with Alexander the Great. Alexander is being anticipated here. We, we see this in the book of Daniel, such as Daniel chapter 7, 7 and 8. But here, and also Daniel chapter 11, about the Greek empire. But here... Zechariah is anticipating it. Even Daniel anticipated it about a hundred years before Zechariah, the Greek Empire. Here too. But why is Greece mentioned? Greece is mentioned not only because they are going to rise as a world empire, but their influence will be throughout that part of the world. So much so that by the time of the apostles, the New Testament is written in the Greek language because it is such a dominant and prominent language and culture even after the Romans conquered the Greeks in 63 BC. By the time of the apostles, a hundred years later, Greek is still the most popular language. But who is going to 
conquered not only the Greeks physically. That's not the main point. Who is going to conquer the Greeks spiritually? The people of God, the church, Zion. Right here, he says, God says, I will stir up. The Lord will work in the human heart to stir up the human heart of his people, Zion, against the Greeks. But this isn't physical battle. Zion is not told. Zion is not commanded. We are not commanded to take up arms to conquer the world for Christ violently. That's not the way it happens. It happens spiritually. And what is our spiritual weapon? The sword of the Spirit, the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Ephesians 6, 17. The, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. It is in this way that God stirs up His people and makes us like a warrior's sword. The Lord stirs us up and makes us like a sword because the sword of the word of the Lord is in our mouth when we preach the gospel. 14, verse 14, Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning, and the Lord God will blow the trumpet and will march in the storm winds of the south. Here, the prophet Zechariah is using imagery both of the days of Moses, but also the future return of Christ. In the days of Moses, the Lord appeared over them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The Lord appeared over them. Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Fourteen nineteen, And the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. 14.24 And it came about at the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. And 25 And he, the Lord, caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty so the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. It is the Lord who will be over us to protect us from our enemies. But also the Lord will appear over us, over the whole world, when he returns. When he descends, he's going to be descending in the clouds. He arose or ascended in the clouds, went up into the clouds and disappeared. Acts chapter 1 verses 9 to 11. But there, the disciples were, were told that you will see him come down just as he has been taken up from you. So in that way, when he comes, what's, why is he going to come? 
to care for and to protect, like a warrior, his people. This is explained in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 5 to 10. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 to 10. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. And also... Zechariah says, his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord appearing as a warrior like lightning. This is the way Jesus described his own return. Just as there was lightning and earthquake in the days of Moses at Sinai, when the Lord appeared, the Lord will appear again like that in the book of Matthew 24, 27. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, 27. The Lord God will blow the trumpet also. He's going to blow the trumpet. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. The Lord will return with a trumpet, and he will march in the storm winds of the south. The storm winds of the south were a very violent storm wind in the land of Israel, coming from the southern regions, which would be Arabia and the desert and wilderness of Arabia. Whenever those winds of the south came into the land of Israel to the north, it was very violent and destructive. Did we not describe Christ as that? Dealing out retribution, 2 Thessalonians 1, 5-10. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to come very violently in His second coming. Revelation 19, 11-21 also describes Christ returning very violently when He comes back. But why so? Verse 15, Zechariah 9:15. Why does the Lord return this way? The Lord of hosts will defend them. 
He is coming to defend his people, his church, his sheep. He is coming to defend us. 2 Thessalonians 1 also said that. That one of the purposes of the coming of Christ is to give relief to us who are being afflicted. Give relief to us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven in flaming fire. When he returns, he's returning to remove our afflictions, especially our persecutions. And when he does, what will be the consequence? Verse 15, and they will devour and trample on the sling stones and they will drink and be boisterous as with wine and they will be filled like a sacrificial basin drenched like the corners of the altar. Who are the they? They means us. They means the church, the people of God. When Christ returns, we will devour like a voracious lion. He's describing what a lion does here. We are going to be conquering lions because we will belong to the pack of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And his people will enjoy what he provides for us. We are going to be like the cubs with the lion and the lioness. That's the way he's describing us. We will devour, we will trample, we will drink, because lions drink the blood of their prey, and be boisterous as with wine, We're going to be celebrating as with wine and they will be filled like sacrificial basin, drenched like the corners of the altar. There will be so much blood like lions like to devour. There will be so much blood, it will be like the sacrificial basins of the Old Testament and the altars of the Old Testament. Whenever the priests offered the animals, they had to pour the blood and also sprinkle the blood in basins and on the altar. And when that was accomplished, then God's wrath was appeased. The wrath of God appeased because the animal was offered for the worshiper's sins. In the same way, God will be appeased whenever our enemies are judged. When our enemies are judged and God uses us to judge our enemies, the Lord himself will satisfy his wrath. He will use us. 1 Corinthians 6, 2. 1 Corinthians 6, 2. Even 6, 2 and 3. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? How much more matters of this life? And verse 3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? We will judge the world and we will judge angels. Those verses in 1 Corinthians are to be taken literally. Literally, we will be judges. Judges of the world and judges of angels. And the Lord will do this. 
on our behalf. Revelation 3.9 Behold, I will cause those, Revelation 3.9, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. God will make our enemies bow down to us. Revelation 6. Revelation 6. Uh, not 6. 16. Revelation 16, 4 to 7. Revelation 16, 4. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who was, O Holy One, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous, are your judgments. The people surrounding the Lord at the altar are praising God for punishing the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people because they poured out the blood of saints and prophets. So God will therefore punish them and be praised when he does so. This is the kind of destruction he's describing here. Also in Zechariah 9.15, when he says, trample on the sling stones, that is, the weapons of war that they used, we will have such strength that we will trample them underfoot. That's what he means. Sling stones or slings were used as weapons. We know this from the account of David and Goliath. David used it in 1 Samuel 17, 40, 43, and 49 to 50. He used a sling and a stone to kill Goliath. These were used for protection and as weapons of war. One of the weapons of war. Moreover, we've come now to verse 16, Zechariah 9, 16. And the Lord, their God, will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they are as the stones of a crown sparkling in his land. The Lord, their God, will save them in that day. In that day. That day signals the days of Christ. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Hebrews 1 verse 2. The Lord, their God, will save them. How? Because of the blood of Christ, which was already mentioned in verse 11. In that day, when the Lord comes as the king for the daughter of Zion, and now here described as the flock of his people, John chapter 10, I am John 10, 1 to 18, where he has many statements to this effect. 
I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the Lord, the Lord Jesus saving us. Even Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He restores my soul. Restoration of the soul has to do with being born again. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's sanctification. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's eternal life. The promise and hope of eternal life provided by the Lord, our shepherd, who considers us the flock of his hand. He also considers us stones, precious stones, such as on a crown. Isaiah 62. Isaiah chapter 62. And for this passage, we read it not only in reference to the stones, but also in reference to the bride and the groom, which is in verse 17, the next verse of Zechariah. First, we read Isaiah 62, verse 1, 1 to 5. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. And the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. And you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. It will no longer be said to you forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate, but you will be called my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the groom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. This is how the Lord will treat us when he saves us. And verse 17 of Zechariah. For what comeliness and beauty will be theirs? Comeliness and beauty will belong to us. This is just like we read in Isaiah 62. He will consider us his dainty one, his lovely one, his comely one, his beautiful one. This is how the Lord will treat us. And he will make us happy. Grain will make the young men flourish and new wine the virgins. He's describing eternal peace and happiness for the people of God. Because this is what we experience as a foretaste whenever we enjoy grain and new wine. We have a couple of places where this is described. Let's read first in Psalm 72. Psalm 72, 16 and 17. Psalm 72, 16 and 17. 
Psalm 72 is Christological. Whether or not your Bible indicates it by notes and footnotes, it is a messianic or Christological psalm. Knowing that, we pick it up at verse 16, where the same analogy is used. May there be abundance of grain in the earth on top of the mountains. Its fruit will wave like the cedars of Lebanon. And may those from the city flourish like vegetation of the earth. May his name, Christ's name, endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines. And let men bless themselves in him. Let all nations call him blessed. And lastly, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah 31, 7 to 14. Jeremiah 31, 7 to 14. <coughs> Herein we'll find Jeremiah essentially summarizing things that we have just studied in Zechariah. Jeremiah 31, 7. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chiefs of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I am bringing forth, I'm bringing them forth from the north country, and I will gather them from the remote parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame the woman with child and she who is in labor with child together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and by supplication I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of waters, on a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare in the coastlands afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he. And they shall come and shout for joy on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the bounty of the Lord over the grain and the new wine and the oil and over the young of the flock and the herd and their life shall be like a watered garden and they shall never languish again. Then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together for I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. And I will fill the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. Jeremiah and Zechariah preach the same salvation of the nations in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we shall have eternal joy and salvation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.